Part nine of Thorstein of the Mere by W. G. Collingwood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty three. Thumbnail. So there we leave Thorstein to bite his hands and weep for that slip between cup and lip, the bitterest he had known. Gartney came into the cot, and what should he see but Raniach? giggling and wide-eyed over a silken scarf that a gay spark he knew him well was tying round her bare shoulders and the housemistress smiling and becking and bowing like a fool alwyn was not there but they seemed merry and the wild lass looked quite bonny in the firelight what good fellow giant said domhnail with somewhat shamefaced bravery as gartnay scowled in at them here we are all as merry as hares by moonlight, and upon my honour I make my best bow to the father of such a bright little thing. See what he's given me, said Raniach with childish pride. She'll be back before long, said the mother. I warrant, now I know of it, Alwyn just slipped away to look for somebody. But take something, sir. It's little we fell-folk have to offer the likes of you, though fair's the day that brought you, and it's a poor place for a king's son though the last drop of roman blood runs in the veins of our alloin it's the sweetest spot in the world mother said domhnail and no finer greeting can i give you when we take our alloin to court and all the lords of the land have to bow down before her then alwyn burst in breathless and haggard and panting she flew at her lover and held him tight taking no heed of them all what now cried they and the young man unwound her arms from his neck and held her off a little. They learnt bit by bit that she had strayed out to look for him, and away on the road towards the wath. She had hidden while a troop of men rode past. Northmen they would be, going to their meeting-place. She had heard them splash over the ford, and then it was dark and she turned homewards. But suddenly she saw a light as if some wayfarer were camping in the wood by the lakeside. It brightened and spread, until she thought the forest was on fire, but no sound of crackling branches or hissing flame could she hear. The blaze grew broader, sparks flew on high, and all round it seemed one great flickering. Then she was terrified and fled by the well-known wood-paths, daring no more to look behind her. The men went out to a little spying-place on the utmost brink of the nab, but fire there was none. The glow of the Northman's Thingstead was hidden behind Great Howe, and the Welsh city was away beyond the crags. "'Why, pretty one,' said Domhnail, coming in, "'what fancies are these? The heather's afire, I know, for all the country is up. But that's the only blaze, and black night it is between here and Elvelin.' "'But I saw it,' said the lass, shuddering. "'It was only a glint of moonshine. Come, little silly, let us be merry again.' nay said her mother thoughtfully and stood up tall and strange she saw it i've seen it twice before i've seen it and well i know the sight once for death and again for death and the third time come good mother said domhnail never seek to scare us king's sons and queens that are to be give no heed to old wives soothsayings alwyn smile now and drink it will do thee good, and me too. Peace, young man, said the mother. 
are not all thy men now bound for battle and unappeasable war with the great king which of them all thinkst thou which of them that drink to-night and shout drunkenly round their fires will come unscathed out of the fire of the fight to march hitherward again in triumph to the homes of their fathers and their children nay i tell you not a man of them all and which of them will lie in agony on the desolate heath far away in saxon land till the ravens pluck out their eyes and the wolves tear their hearts out of the riven harness ay by that token many and many a one i see them there the proudest the mightiest the bravest i see them in their blood and i see the handful that flee over heath and hill in their shame and their sorrow terror-stricken before the sword of england and trembling beneath the spear of the stranger fleeing to their lairs in the mountains and to all the wild wood fastnesses and i hear the wail of the mourner and the scream of the captive and the curse of the mother that bore the coward and the coward's son oh my life go not out to this battle cried alluin clinging to him stay by us in peace and if evil must come let it roll over thy head lying hidden here in safety what said domhnail shirk the play for a girl's vision and a woman's fears king said gartnay for thou lord mayst be king before this moon has waned these are no idle counsels a brave heart is the praise of youth but a seeing eye is the glory of a king hear me gartnay macterniach is no coward but he is old and life is good to him in the woods is he not good to thee in the city and in the court and if blood must be shed why should the blood of father and son redden one field together stay by us here and claim from king owain the wardenship of these marches it is a post of honour and so we shall keep the seed-corn while we spend the reapings of the harvest thus they talked until morning and it was resolved that domhnail nothing loath for the sake of alwyn if not to save his own skin should withhold himself from the battle gartnay because he knew the land and was cunning as a spy got the ear of king owain next day and saying nothing of the vision bade the king go in peace and begged that domhnail might be left with the defenders of the border to keep them in heart and to be king of the land in his father's room to do justice upon the upstarts and peace-breakers who always showed their heads when the king's back is turned such advice was held to be good and the army went on its way to fight athelstan at brunnenburg chapter fourteen the giant's castle clean gone were the welshmen at last and the northmen with them and then came gartnay and dragged poor thorstein out of his lair where he had lain a night and a day with little ease and took his daughter with them and over the mosses they travelled no long way to the stronghold where the fell folk were used to retire in times of war and trouble all along the ben their houses were scattered but on the side away from thirlmere there is a deep valley no wilder might be in any part as scarcely in any land inhabited than this that opens at shoalthwaite on either side high cliffs brant and broken rise above the sheets of ruin which fall from them among scanty leafage of battered forest trees 
in one place the crags frown over the gill as they frown nowhere else in our fells overhanging their bases as if they would topple down with a breath the gill is steep and rocky the chasm that cleaves its sides one long waterfall from top to bottom coming down from the high moors and desolate bogs to the low-lying valley and inhabited plain between the ben and blencathra there in the midst of this trough runs out a tongue of land steep on either side and the tip of it rises abrupt into a tall rocky island precipitous all round and approachable only by a narrow neck that joins it to the mountain across this neck great trenches had been dug in ancient times deep and wide and curving round the castle rock like the new moon lying about the old so huge they are that they remain there to this day and if the first is climbed there is the second and if the second is climbed there is the third twice as high and no way to circumvent it or avoid it if one would get up to the stronghold in the midst and then there is the hollow in the rock where a few houses might be built as the forecourt of the castle or its outer bailey defended on two sides by the sheer precipice and on the third by the trenches but on the fourth side rises still higher the uttermost rock a sheer tower unapproachable save by a narrow path like a ledge in the side of it so that one only at once can enter and one man above with a good spear could easily defend it thrusting each newcomer over in turn and down into the gulf below like sheep one by one thrust into the pool at a sheep washing then on the very top is a plain place a rocky platform whence the eye searches all that valley and views the great vale and the roads below and blencathra and skiddaw rising beyond them and the mountain tops of helvellyn above the nearer crags and ulscarf over the moor by a steep path one could come upon the road leading from thirlmere out to the plain and round to the old roman fort at the foot of derwent water and from spying places could be watched everything that passed and all that was doing below so that this was the safest place for refuge and the most dangerous to the neighbourhood that could be found a stronghold seemingly impregnable before the days of gunshot and still among the wonders of lakeland here it was our story says that gartnay kept ward on the passes with his men and held thorstein in a prison from which there was little escape but so long as raniach was there life was not bitter nor unbearable for she was all the world to him now and yet there was little to give them pleasure in the horrible black rocks and roaring gill and the loneliness and deathliness of all around gartnay came and went with his men never leaving the place without a guard upon the gateway so that none might go out or come in and indeed what with wild beasts and the terrible country round about to say nothing of a time of war when every kind of evil-doer is abroad there was little to tempt them forth so long as they had a roof over their heads if it were no better than a pig-hole and a wall between them and the world even though it were a prison wall the summer sultriness thickened day upon day until blencathra was but a film of grey hung like a cobweb in the sky and the beck began to dwindle and its roar died into a murmur beneath the bullocks of the hold then followed the stillness and the heaviness that makes one weary in the hour before a storm bursts but if the sky was threatening 
and if the air was full of dread in their hearts was still a greater unease while they waited evening after evening for the news that must by now be on its way to them the fulfilment of alwyn's sightseeing and the soothsaying of her mother one night the men came back and called for drink and raniach brought them what mead there was and a jar of strong waters gartnay drank and bid thorstein out of his sight the lad crept into one of the ruined chambers low beels they were like dog kennels against the wall in the lap so to say of that castle crag and he lay there long waiting for the thunder to begin but all he heard was the sound of loud voices and furious talking and raniach's shrill tongue scolding begging threatening and at last a smothered scream as if some evil had happened his heart went quite cold and he crept out to die with her she was there beside him sobbing and shuddering but she put her hand upon his mouth and drew him into the chamber he has beaten me she whispered and he will kill thee he says the wolf cub is a burden now that the wolves are slaughtered and he will kill me too if i stand in his way he is wild oh thorstein listen he's coming there were shuffling footsteps without the giant drunken with strong drink was groping towards them in the darkness his hand pressed the broken thatch of the shed where they lay and the underside of it cracked away and dropped on them but he could not find the door after a while he growled and muttered and sank into slumber thorstein said she let us away while he sleeps oh save me lad and save thyself out of this den then thorstein terrified as he was tried to soothe her and in a while the quietness gave them courage to look forth chapter twenty five how they fled dawn was at hand and things began to loom through the blackness of murk night gartnay snored on where he fell but the gate guards lay in their places whether sleeping or waking the children could not know and none could open the gate without stirring them thorstein looked over the bullocks and down into the gill black it was down yonder and even the waterfall into which he was used to throw stones for pastime on the fell side over against them had dwindled so that the white of it hardly showed beneath him the rock went sheer down for a space and underneath he knew that there were tufts of heather and saplings growing out of the scree side that sloped from the crag he stole breathless to one of the chambers where some little store of bedding and apparel lay and brought out a bundle of girdle thongs and such like and began to tie them into a line for they were scantily enough to loop round a big stone and to reach thence to the wall edge and a very little way overboard he went back for an armful of skins but how to rip them up into thongs without a knife then raniach crept up to the giant and loosed his sword in the sheath and as she rattled it he gave a great groan and she let go but he sank into sleep again and she drew it out they cut the skins into strips and knotted their line in haste with trembling hands and threw it over the wall raniach sat on the edge and clinging tight to the line slid down hand under hand fending herself off the crag with her feet until they touched the rough scree slope 
down came thorstein with the giant's sword thrust naked through his girdle behind her heart beat lest the line should break or the stones come away from the wall coping upon them both but at last he stood beside her and they stumbled down the long slide of ruin to the gill there was just light enough for them to cross it without being carried down the stream and they scrambled up the other side on the grassy bank of the waterfall as steep as a hillside can be all under those terrible hanging crags in the glimmering dawn and the thunder mist then there was a roar and a crash and splinters of stone flew about them they saw the giant's head over the bullocks against the sky and his long arms whirling as he took aim at them again she screamed and they ran up bank on hands and knees while the stones flew and the curses and threats with them but they never looked behind again until they were a good step out of the deepest of the ravine and were well up towards the moor where the ground was not so dangerously steep none the worse yet except for cutting their shins on the scree and tearing their faces in the blackthorn bushes they stopped for breath and a last sight of their prison but they stopped only a moment for the gate was opened and folk were running after them in the grey mist across the tongue of land so they plunged into the birches and the bogs and crept through the underwood and waded through the totter moss startling the hagworms beneath and the wild fowl above as they beat their way up and ahead hoping only to be lost and out of sight then they came to a high ridge with piked rock standing on it from which they could see that their homeward course was plain over a great swamp and a bleak tarn and along the green mountains beyond it but from their rock they could trace the giant not so far behind making his way through the wood which was harder for him to force than for the lithe bodies that could slip between its boughs and over its half-dried cracking mire-holes in which his bulk and weight stuck and sank continually and yet he went at it with main strength swinging his club and hewing a passage down from their peak they flitted and up he came from the other side shadowy against the lurid sunrise with a shout he strode over the edge taking great steps against the sky while they were lost in the maze of oozy rills too broad for them to jump and too deep and too treacherous to wade while they looked wildly for their crossings he leapt the ditches and gained on them until at last he whirled his club round his head and it flew hurtling through the air they fell flat in the mire and it skimmed close over them then they struggled to their feet and ran neck and neck for blee tarn thorstein plunged in dragging her after him and struck out for the other side sorely weighed down by her head on his shoulder and well-nigh choked by her grip around his neck for she was no swimmer and gasped and struggled in the black water he landed her though upon a shoal and up the bank they fled on firmer ground now and with a clear way before them and treeless over stones and grass forward and upward to ulscarf but a terrible roar came up from the tarn and they looked back and saw the giant near the middle of it fighting with the black water and lashing it into foaming waves that circled and spread until all the mere was in a turmoil and then his head went under but he rose again flapping and battling like a wounded heron then he sank again and once more came to the surface 
drifting like a log in an eddy and then the water closed over him black and calm and the pattern of the mountain tops began to take shape where he had been the children stood fixed to the spot a stream of bubbles rose and burst and the reflections joined again raniach turned suddenly on thorstein and dealt him a blow that felled him to the ground she burst into a passion of weeping as she flung herself beside him thou hast killed my father she wailed i hate thee i hate thee thorstein was in no mood to say good or bad to her so utterly weary was he least of all to make love speeches he lay a while and the tarn water ran from him upon the grass listen raniach he said at last i hear the shouts of the men that follow us afar oh lad she cried dear lad take me with thee so they climbed the ridge and held by it on the farther side hidden from their pursuers and saw them no more but now the day had broken a dismal day of thunder mist and gathering storm the highest tops were lost not in their homely cloud caps but fading away into black vapour and through the rents in it the sun shot beams of coppery and swarthy sheen down into the smoky dells and tumbling precipices that seemed to ditch their moorland road on either hand the long rise and fall of ulscarf before them looked like a vast bridge in the air and leading nowhither but into darkness far to the right gaps in the gloom showed awful edges of mountain rolling and plunging along the skyline as wheels that moved great toppling balls advancing slowly over hill and dale wayward and unescapable nigher at hand were huge monsters misshapen and grey and foul to see many-headed things with eyes and crests and spiny backs crouching along the naked ground among white and bleaching bones in the black soil and when the children came nearer hoping to slip by for there was no other way these things became great boulders as it might be images of unknown dragons of dreamland or they were weird tussocks of grass on black and embattled towers and pinnacles of crumbling peat that took the shape of laidly worms and all the terrors of winter night tales they won their way over the bridge in air down through the silky green mosses and heatherless moor grasses to green up rays for they dared not try the valleys on either side in fear of losing the only way they knew the safe and solitary ridge that must bring them southward and homeward but the darkness deepened and then came a flash and an instant crack and roar that sent them speeding upward in panic then the storm began flash upon flash of blue light terrifying and bewildering as they scudded through the din and rattle of hail blindly seeking shelter and dashed into a nook of white shattered rocks an island on the great heaving billow of the moor as they crushed themselves into the beeld some ugly beast with a snarl and white teeth pushed out and fled past them into the storm and there they cruddled in shelter at last and such was their weariness and the heaviness of the air that they knew no more until they awoke wondering for the sky was violet blue above them 
and the sun was going down among torn flitters of cloud-wreck. All around the mountains were hard-edged and dark purple, with streaks and stripes and slashes of dim white from the hail and sudden cold. The children crept out, shivering and tottering. "'Oh, Thorstein!' sobbed the lass. "'I can go no further. Let us lie down and die here.' But he comforted her, and bade her lean on him, and led her up to the moor, slowly and painfully toiling, until step by step they gained a rocky pike among white tables of stone, and strange pillars and domes and curving hollows, like the icebergs they tell of in the far northern seas. And looking homeward in the twilight from that tower, they saw a deep dark valley below, and weary fells on the other side, and dells and mountain moors. But beyond, far beyond, a gleam of water, and a rising shadow of mountain beside it, that wiped off the stars from the southern sky. Aye, and Thorstein greeted as he held the poor lass up to look at the strip of light in the distance. It's my mere, it's our own mere, Ranyach, I know it. How they came down Langdale's side in the darkness they could never tell. From ledge to ledge, among the hammers and knots of rock, clambering and groping for foothold and handhold, sliding sometimes down the screes and losing one another in the deep fern, but still descending, even when they were swept down the mazes of the black gills, and the torrent beds roaring from the rainstorm. Light-headed with hunger and reckless from fatigue, they reached the valley. Guided by a red spot of firelight, they came upon the huts of the poor folk who had harboured them on their outward journey, and there they found food and a respite from their travelling, and made a ready tale how the men had gone to the war and sent them home. For if they had let it be known that Gartney was dead, it was odds but the fell folk would have been rough and mishandled them. But for pity's sake they were good and made them welcome and wondered how they had come through the storm unscathed. They housed them and fed them, as long as they would bide, and then set them a good step on their way, until they struck the path over Hawkshead Moor, and down Rusland Pool to the Leven. As they came within sight of Leven Firth and the well-known hills, wooded softly and winsome after the horrible ruggedness of the mountains, Thorstein laughed and sang and shouted for joy, and stepped briskly forward. "'Come along, lass,' he cried. "'Come along with thee. Yonder is Legbarrow, and the sands of Leven. A bit more, and we shall see Greenod. Home, lass, home. Step out. Why, what ails thee, silly?' "'Oh, Thorstein, I dare not. My heart is like water within me, and my head works sore.' "'Aye, poor thing, little tired thing. I'll help thee along.' See, yonder is our how, and the smoke from Greenod. See the bonny fields and flocks in them. And ah, they've built a new cottage by the ford, and sown a bit of the intake on the fell. There's Greenod, Raniach. There it is, our own house. Nay, Thorstein, I can go no farther. My feet are broken, and my knees are trembling. Oh, let me be, and leave me. Why, lass, it is but a step. Well, then, bide here if thou must, and look for me back in a hop-skip and jump to late thee. 
she saw him trip off with no more farewell and then she dragged herself up into a wild apple tree and it began to grow dark and she waited for him sick at heart then the night fell and still she waited for him end of part nine